Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining. Today, my guest Anna Hendel opens up about dealing with bouts of depression, her experience with ketamine therapy, and how a mystical psilocybin journey left her feeling connected with oneness. Anna Hendel is a certified Gestalt therapist with a private practice in New York City. She works with teenagers, adults, and couples dealing with depression, anxiety, life changes, eating disorders, addiction, and trauma. She also provides ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. With almost 20 years of experience working in the field of mental health, she helps people connect what's going on in their bodies with what's going on in their minds. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hi, Anna. Hey, man. How, How are, are you? you? It's so nice to see you again. Likewise. I'm really happy to be here, to be talking to you today about this subject. Excited. Well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, just based on our previous conversation a few weeks ago. So I can't wait to jump right in. So tell me, what was going on in your life that led you to explore using psychedelics for therapeutic purposes? Well, I guess you're asking me about what's going on now. And so that makes me go back to when. And the when is that I really started having depression symptoms when I was 13, 14 and went into therapy then and have found that it's been extremely helpful and I've done things like yoga and I do transcendental meditation and I really come to health holistically. But maybe part of this put me on the path of being a seeker 
Mm. on a seeker for something more than just like the chatter in my brain or the messaging that I'm giving myself or some of the perhaps early traumas that Mm. I had to work through. And that showed up as like doing some psychedelics with friends in college and a little in my 20s. But now as a private practice therapist in New York City, there's been a lot of conversation about psychedelic psychotherapy and I joined this company journey clinical last winter mm-hmm. and they do ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And it's a real way to get my toes wet to see if I like this work. And so I started, I guess, soon after in maybe February and do maybe one or two sessions a month. Did one last night. They're all really, really different. So part of my interest in that, some of it is just medicinally like, oh, this is interesting. The biochemistry piece of what they say of how it adds to brain elasticity, you know, that's deeper than talk therapy and maybe some of the somatic work can get into that. You know, I played around with coming at health holistically and I've kind of gone through nutritionists and yoga. I'm doing all these right things Mm. and I'm still having these depression symptoms. And I think that if some of that chatter can start to say, you're hopeless, look, it's never going to work. And there's always been a part of me that's kind of smarter than that or can kind of reality check around that. But the excitement around, wow, like this idea of kind of jiggling up your brain a little bit to Mm -hmm. shuffle things around and then having an agency to be able to make some changes in that space after you take the medicine is really interesting. And it's a way to do short-term work. It's a way to work with people who are a little weary of psychotropic medication. So I'm not an extremist. I'm kind of going at this with a lot of curiosity. I never think there's an answer. I think these are all tools, but I've seen some really cool results, if Mm. I can use that word, with some of my clients and ability to kind of go deeper with themselves or touch places or feelings that felt or intellectually they thought, oh, that's too scary to go there. Most of the arguments, well, I guess it depends on who I'm talking to or which arguments I'm reading, but as long as the psychedelics are not harming your body, harming your mind. And these are now getting tested and trials are going in hospitals right now with MDMA. And I think psilocybin is now medically legal out West. This is all just like really interesting and exciting for me. And I'm like, well, this is tapping into a different part of the brain Mm -hmm. and a part that is very subjective. And I'm interested in the realm that's deeper than the chatter that we have. So first of all, thank you for talking about the fact that you suffered from depression, because I think it's so important to take that stigma away so that people feel more comfortable having open conversations, whether it's with their therapist, 
or with their friends or family members. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the table and being so honest about it. So I want to go back a little bit. Was there a particular event that um, triggered the depression in a sense, or was it a kind of a, a confluence of different events and situations that led you to the state of depression in your life? Well, I was a born and raised New Yorker, and I went to one of those elite private schools at a very young mm. age. I stayed through 12th grade. And I think by the time I kind of woke up to who I am, I was like, oh, I don't think this is the right environment for me. Academics mm. were hard. I found out later in high school, I had a learning disability. And once I got the accommodation, I did well. But before that, it was a lot of struggle. And then I think socially, like, it just didn't feel like my place. And it was probably the icing on the cake of getting the what I experienced as a rejection from a guy at the time was just like mm. devastating and kind of tipped that scale for me that my parents suggested therapy, such a New York way to deal with right. <laughs> problems, <laughs> go to therapy. I think it was a combination of the school, maybe the parents I have. I was fighting with them, and that's such a normal teenage thing, but I just probably wasn't getting the right kind of supports I needed. Hmm. And, you know, there's also some biochemical depression in my family. It's like very, very clear. Right. Where I can trace back in my maternal line. And so it's not a one thing, but it was probably a circumstantial thing, hmm. nature, nurture. And it's really something I manage and I manage hmm. it pretty well. I do a lot of things to take care of myself, to right. just kind of be okay. And I think that that also goes hand in hand with being a therapist because I got to show up present, alert, and curious about the people I'm working with. And I need to make sure I'm okay to do that, to show up that way. So when you decided to try ketamine for the first time, where did you do the, the ketamine-assisted therapy? And how was it administered? Mm-hmm. How did it feel when you were in the experience? And just briefly explain for someone who may be listening or watching who may mm-hmm. not be familiar with what ketamine actually is. So ketamine is an old school tranquilizer used on humans and animals. And then it seems to have these antidepressant effects. And don't quote me on it, but maybe six or seven years ago, it became FDA approved to treat Mm -hmm. treatment resistant depression intravenously. So it was pretty much all IV and clinical. And that has now changed to ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So if you were to go to a clinic, there would be a social worker there, but you're probably going to go in a room, get an IV, have a check-in before and after, see a psychiatrist and leave. And this this type of company that was a reaction to kind of like, hey, I'm doing this thing and I'm in this cold room and... Some companies really started to focus on the integration work, kind of what what happens during and after, right? because that's this ripe space to make some changes. 
So now ketamine is not just recommended for treatment-resistant depression. It's also recommended for trauma, for anxiety, Mm -hmm. OCD, Mm -hmm. eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty much useful for most clinical mood disorders and trauma the way it works, you, you would see a nurse practitioner and the, or a psychiatrist and they'd evaluate you. So when I signed up for Journey Clinical, they give you this option to do a group CAP. So CAP's the acronym. And since there's an out-of-pocket expense generally, because when I see my clients, I'll see them for two or three hours, depending on whether it's their first or second session, whether it's in person or remote. So I got two prescriptions for ketamine and I did my first one in a group session, which means there was a therapist on Zoom and there were four of us as clients doing the ketamine together. I did not- you were taking, sorry, and you were taking the ketamine, was it by pill? It was as a lozenge, okay. So, right, the only way to do IV would be going to a clinic. So everything through ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, as far as I know, is lozenge. You swish this pretty, gross-tasting lozenge for 10 minutes, and then you spit it, and then you wait another 10 minutes, and you can take a second dose. Mm. And if you do... There's also waiting another 10 minutes after that. There's a booster. Wow. So the first time I did it, I did all of those three swishes. And I can't really say why. I just had an instinct of like, I don't feel such an effect yet. I Hmm. just feeling kind of still landed on planet earth and I'm Mm -hmm. told I'm supposed to feel something else. So the second time I did it, I think I swished my two doses together, Mm. waited 10 minutes and then took the booster. So the first time you didn't really experience much. So the second time around, what did you experience? What was the feeling like once it it kicked in? Yeah. I mean, I did feel like a psychoactive effect for sure. I felt kind of floaty, like I was in the stars. And some clinicians had told me the things that are really nice to have in your office for your clients when they're doing ketamine is a weighted blanket, Mm -hmm. some oils, the dim lights, having an eye patch and listening to music. There's these different playlists to download. And there's a real kind of diving inward. Mm. When I did this group cap, I have to say that my ego function, and for those of you listening, it just sort of means that the part of me that was aware of what I was doing and the sort of commentary of like, I'm sitting on my bed, I'm taking my ketamine, this feels weird. And that was kind of there the whole time. And when I spoke to a nurse practitioner after, she's like, I think you could have used a higher dose. Mm. And it's not to say because of that or because you need to sort of go to another planet. But it was sort of a fast forward a month later. I was like, I just didn't feel any effect of that. 
Mm. But when I was on the ketamine, it was really interesting. I had some memories of when I was very little, some of these memories of being alone, which Mm. was interesting because there's some memories that I talk about in my own therapy about not warm and fuzzy memories, but just Mm. kind of reclaiming that little girl and what she needed and how she was alone at this particular time in my life and not memory came up for me. There was some memory of me and her together. I I felt like very fast thoughts and almost like I had a client describe it this way yesterday, kind of like all these thoughts are coming and Mm. I'm trying to grab onto one and kind of follow it, but I can't because they're just kind of coming and going and I'm Mm. coming and going and there was like a little bit of buzzing and I felt actually a little dizzy. I can't say it wasn't just like, ah, exhale, because there was just a lot of movement. And I was also new to it with four other people. I had met the therapist that morning. Right. And these three other people. And we didn't really have time to do any kind of warm and fuzzy go around. It was just like, okay, we're all in this together. Mm. So there was a little bit of disorientation. So it wasn't ideal that way. My second time, I paired up with someone from that group and did an individual session, which was really interesting and a little bit, I think, better for me. Right. You said all this information was coming at you very quickly. Do you remember some of the messages and the information that was coming at you? Was it information from your childhood that you were tapping into? some of the trauma or maybe some of the emotional wounds that you had not processed? I think some of it is feelings of safety or messages of safety, kind of these you're okay reminders Hmm. that were kind of with me when it doesn't feel like emerging as a concrete, this is the message, but was it more matter of fact or did it feel emotional to you? Yeah, it felt emotional. It felt like I'm alone, but I don't know what I want. Mm. And, and it was interesting because I had a friend in the other room because you need a chaperone, even if you're doing it at home, just in case anything goes wrong. Right. And... I remember just like wanting him to be near me. He's a college friend. And so there was a little bit of a longing maybe for contact or a a person or a little bit more comfort in the physical experience. But then even this sort of The flying, the floating, the journey, there was like kind of this longing and this wanting in that as I'm talking to you, it's like coming to me that maybe part of that work or that message that is sort of how to support myself with moving forward with what I want. Right. Which is essentially so much of what I do with my clients. Right. You know. And was that feeling of longing? Do you think it was like the feeling of longing for connection? 
I think in that moment, in the context of my friends in the other room, a little lonely Anna who showed up for me. And then I think I'm such a relational therapist. Right. And as I think COVID kind of revealed to me that I have an introvert in here big time, Mm. but I still really crave that contact. Right. And those connections. I think a lot of us are introverted extroverts. I think it depends on the situation. I think there are moments when you can be more extroverted and really wanting to connect and socialize. And then there are moments when you really need your alone time to decompress and process. So after the second ketamine session, which I just want to get some of the details. So you were lying down. You were in a space with the other three people. The first session was a group session. I was on in, a Zoom. In person. In, oh, on a Zoom. Okay. On so you're table. in your home and you're lying on your bed. You're right. You're- I'm in my bedroom. Got my four faces on Zoom. I and see. then when it was time to take the medicine, I was on my bed and I was just kind of propped up, sort of reclined. And I stayed in that position. And then the medicine kind of peaks around 20 minutes and lasts about, for me, it was like about 60 minutes. Mm, Okay. And then it was like, okay, I'm kind of ready to sit up. And now I'm kind of ready to emerge back into the group. And then we came back together and spoke a little bit about our experiences. So... How did you feel after you came out of the second ketamine session in terms of just your body and your emotions? And how were you able to process and kind of integrate what you had learned during that 60 minutes? It was really interesting. The second session, my husband was home. Hmm. And... I had more attention and that one-on-one. So I felt more comfortable and the ability to just go in. I didn't really have as many memories. It was more of like a buzzing. Hmm. It's like a little bit of an earthquakey feeling, but then there's like a floatingness to it. I'm thinking about, again, my husband in the other room and he came in and there was something that was so nice about him coming in and my husband just kind of like gave me a hug and it was really, really nice. And so that whole environment was a little more comfortable. And I felt, I think both times, a little burst of energy the next day, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really feel like a boost in mood. I came at it from a good place. I wasn't like, oh, I really need to work on this. It was more of, okay, I'm going to do this work. And so I'd like to have my own experience. But I did talk to the psychiatrist about it, nurse practitioner, and they were just like, you probably didn't have a high enough dose. Mm. Because I came away going, I'm promoting this. I'm working with people on this, but I didn't feel a benefit from it. Right. Because I 
historically have needed a higher dose of certain medications for things, even though I'm a smaller person. Right. So it might just be that. So I'm not making any meaning about it besides that. Right. And I could go back for another prescription and with ketamine to get a really good therapeutic dose and make changes you want to do between six to eight sessions. Mm. We want them to be two to three weeks apart. And it's quite a commitment of time. Yeah. And there's a way to do it self-led. You can either do it in person with the therapist, remotely with the therapist, or self-led, where I would take my vitals, take the medicine, check in with the cap therapist by text when I'm done and then just have like an integration session the next day. So I might do it that way. And I'm a little bit on the the fence about it. It's exciting for me. Like this could maybe clear up some of these things I'm working on right now. So then after this um, second ketamine session, what led you to explore um, psychedelics like psilocybin? Oh, well, I have been reading about this stuff for a long time. And then Michael Pollan, of course, made it really popular. You see in the science section of the Times every other week, another article. And of course, it's what you would expect. It's going to say all the benefits one week and then all of the terrible things the next week. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think that... A little bit of the work of yoga and a little bit of the work of meditation taking me to that place that's deeper than the mind, deeper Mm -hmm. than our thoughts, deeper Mm -hmm. than our beliefs, and having experiences touching that place for like a moment here and there and knowing that the psychedelics, it's a fast track there. And so I did some psilocybin in my 20s and then recently last year with a friend. And it was really fun. It was a nice experience. And I would say that it wasn't like a transformational. It's almost like the intellectual remembering of Mm -hmm. what I felt is what helps me now. So, you know, the set and setting was not ideal here in New York City. I'm going to the park with my friend and we're taking psilocybin, but it's kind of the best you can do. And there was that feeling of barriers breaking down Mm. and oneness with nature, with the trees, with the air, and a bit of a breaking down of the little things, which to me include the mind and the thoughts and the ways in which we categorize ourselves. So when I feel stuck or get down, it's like there's this memory of just sort of like a a rhythm Mm. with other trees. And that helps me open and kind of lean into bit of an open state, which I feel is more in the realm of love versus the fear, the anger, and the irritation, which is what happens, particularly in New York. Yeah. 
What was your experience like when you were in the psilocybin journey? Obviously, you felt really connected to nature. But did you have any visions or any sort of downloads? Did you see any images from your childhood or anything more recently? Did ancestors come through? You know, I did it. And that's a part of me that's going like, why didn't I? I want that. And I took maybe twice as much as my friend. It could be that it wasn't the right amount or the set and setting. I don't know if my defenses are so grooved in that I'm like, I feel the ground. Here I am. When I kind of don't let myself go there. And I'm not sure if that's a part of the experience, if that needs to be a decision or if that can just happen. Right. You clearly had a really mystical experience. I don't think there's anything right or wrong about anybody's experiences when they're doing a psychedelic journey. Some people can just have a really beautiful mystical experience and feel really connected in this oneness. And then some people can have an experience where it digs deep and it brings up a lot of things that they need to potentially process and deal with. So did you do the psilocybin again after this one time with your friend? I had a little bit left and just kind of divided it up to microdose, but it wasn't really anything that I could kind of account for to say this was really helpful in my mood. So after this psilocybin experience, did you contemplate potentially other psychedelic plant medicines? I'm in therapy right now and I switched therapists in March and he does a lot of work with the underground. Mm -hmm. And this is not necessarily why I'm sought him out. I did a workshop with him last fall on psychedelic psychotherapy. And I'm seeing him now for weekly therapy. And we haven't really talked about it right now. But he's talked about MDMA, if we're to do something, which I want to look into and do a little bit more research on. I think it's Mount Sinai that's doing their trials with MDMA. And mm -hmm. that's really interesting because when I did that in college, it's so much about the self-love that everyone could use. I'm not saying everyone should do MDMA, but it's like, yeah, you know, I think about the stuckness and if that can kind of jump over some hurdles, I might not be able to get to in therapy to access that. And I know my defenses are really kind of grooved in. Right. And I think a lot of people explored using psychedelics or psychedelic assisted therapy because either they've been in talk therapy for a very long time and they've kind of hit a point where they can't go any further and the psychedelics have helped them really open up and get into a different realm of their subconscious that they just were not able to tap into with just purely doing talk therapy. So as a clinician, but then also somebody who suffers from depression, is there any advice that you can give somebody who may be considering potentially using psychedelics for their own therapeutic purpose? 
I think that anyone can do some research these days, but you want to do it from reputable sources. I think my best advice is starting with a therapist. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in psychedelics, finding a therapist who does that work. But I would take a pause with, I want to do this. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that it's kind of like, well, do you want to do that for the experience or do you really want to work on this old thing? So if you just want the experience, then like go do with your friends. But if you want to work on some therapeutic trauma or thing that's bothering you, I think we as individuals are not the best ones to gauge what we need. So that's the hesitation of, I want to do psychedelic psychotherapy. Maybe you don't need that, or maybe you need some talk therapy first, or somatic work first, and then maybe that can enhance it. But let's really look at what and why, and and then the best thing. Yeah, I always say like the caveat, especially with this podcast, is that psychedelics may not be for everybody. And it really is such an individual choice. And I really believe in individual path. I'm a big believer because I'm very spiritual that especially the plant medicines are very intuitive and that it actually will call to you if and when you are ready. And I've heard it time and time again. I've had so many people that have spoken with friends who've done it, that they were called to do it. So there is a mystical component to it that cannot be fully explained, right, in scientific and medical terms. But again, you can't deny people who are doing it and the reasons why they end up doing it are all fairly the same. I mean, pretty much everyone that I know who has gone through a psychedelic journey, whether it's once or numerous times, they definitely have been called to it. There's something that just happens. There's some magical, mystical element that happens. Yeah, that's beautiful because I agree with you. I think that it's timing and openness and those two things come with intuition that can't Mm -hmm. really be explained and moving towards something. Right. So based on your experiences with ketamine and then also with psilocybin, what would you like to leave as your final thought for the listener? I would want to leave an opening. I'm imagining someone who's new to this Mm -hmm. as the mind is something that is so vast and unexplainable. And there's so much that we're learning right now and that it may well be a part of your healing journey. I hope that even if you feel stuck or even if you've been doing something for 30 or 40 years and you're in a state of despair, that not only is there therapy, but there's so many different modalities and different ways to approach things. So if you feel like I'm not a talk therapy person or I want something a little different or I want someone who understands the mysticism that I believe in, 
That's possible. And you could probably also find a therapist who does CAP or psilocybin and MDMA who's also very matter of fact and not mystical. So I think that there's just all types and it's an exciting time. The good news is I think more and more people are having open conversations about psychedelic assisted therapy as well as other modalities, like you said, for healing, it's all headed in the right direction, which I think is very hopeful. I agree because I think that there's also some play in this experience. There's a joyfulness in it. Mm -hmm. There's a hopefulness in that. I'm going to try something new and I'm going to be clear about it. Right. Well, Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story It's been so nice to get to know you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And if you want to contact Anna, I'll have all the information in the the episode notes. Um, She is based in New York City, but I'm assuming that you also do remote therapy sessions. I do. I do. Thank you, Min. This has been wonderful. And I feel like I unfolded some things about myself as we were talking. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely talk soon. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me. So please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So let me know what resonates for you. Until next time, take care. (laughs) 